Shut up and sit down. Hi, welcome back to the Down Podcast. We are going to talk about stuff today. That's right, glorious stuff. Now your hosts, Matt Legrand, Evan Price, and Jake Von Durin. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back to the Dial Podcast. I'm here with Evan Price and Matt Legrand. Welcome back, guys. How's it going? Hey, what's up? Not much. How was the uh, the weekend, fellas? Pretty good. Uh, we had our first triathlon of the season, at least in the region. Uh, Beaver Freezer down at Corvallis. That was my first time in Corvallis. Super uh-huh. fun city. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Was it cool? I've never been to Corvallis. Yeah, yeah. It seemed, it seemed like an interesting college town. You know. Cool. We'll have to come back on that in just a minute. I'm going to be uh, mm-hmm. curious to hear some race results. Oh uh, yeah. A little birdie tells me that someone across the table from me did pretty well. Matt, how was your weekend? Good, good. Um, kids' spring break, so we uh, shot down to California and. Um, Saw a little sun and made our way back up. It was actually a short trip, but but good. So that's where I spent most of my time in the car. Excellent. Yep. Yeah, I got a chance to check out a couple of little videos that you posted yeah. of your yeah. trip down there. So fun stuff, fun stuff for mm-hmm. sure. Good. Yeah, I had a chance to um, do a little bit of riding too. We had a race that was canceled and, uh, on Saturday, so spent a little time on the trainer. Uh, never a good time. <laughs> and <laughs> then time. on Sunday, got to follow that up with a little gravel grinder event. So um, that was... That was quite fun as well. Um, moving forward, um, this is going to be a little segment we're going to call the backpedal, where we're going to kind of get into in-depth uh, the things that, that really came through uh, this past weekend and the things that we had going on. And um, yeah, let's go ahead and kind of dive into that right now. Evan, tell us a little bit about this uh, this triathlon that you had to kick this, off the season. This sprint triathlon to, to all of our cycling friends, I'll, I'll break it down here. It was an early season pool swim because... It's probably still a little, what do you think, Matt, a little oh, cold yeah. for, for open water right now? You know, I Give mean, it, another week or two. it just depends on if you want your participants to live through the race. That's true. So, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So most of the races this time of year will typically yeah. be, yep, a uh, pool swim. Yeah. We're, we're way too soft to get in the open water right now. So it was a 500 yard pool swim. Uh, it was kind of an interesting start style. They started the race at 8 a.m. and we're doing it wave style. So there were a lot of uh, waves leading up to the 10:30 a.m. wave, which was the what they considered the fast wave, which was kind of fun. There was 500. N- that's short. 500 yards. Oh, I'll take a 500 yard 500. swim any day. Yeah. 500. Did you get out and you were like, <laughs> I don't even I, have to dry off. That I was yeah. It was <laughs> it was swimming yet. for for me. I was like, great. There's a super swimmer out there, and he's not that far away from me, so I don't have to worry too much. But uh, yeah, I, I, I had to sprint to make up some time. But how are your transitions? Uh, fast. I, I had to. <laughs> did you run from the, when you came like, I don't know, I don't know, how, I've never done this race, but did you come mm. out of the whatever pool auditorium, whatever it is, and mm-hmm. then like into the cold air? Yes, like, yeah. And there's, you're completely wet and you're jumping on a bike. Is it cold? Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, we, we were lucky. It was mid 50s, but oh, okay. it was very windy. So the, the, the wind, uh, I'll have an interesting little bit here about how the wind played quite a, quite a role. And this is where you see, uh, if you're a strong cyclist in triathlon, you can make a massive, gain here so we had we it was open to traffic so uh the course was open to traffic wow uh which for me worked out great because there was this massive crosswind and i got to kind of sit tucked in arrow with this line of cars next to us in the bike lane and i was completely comfortable i could see the guys i was to the the two the guy i had to chase to catch was not comfortable with that so 
I was able to make up time, passed him on a turn, and luckily was able to hold on on the run just fine. So, yeah. yeah. So how was the run? Uh, the the run was a little hillier than I was expecting. Uh, it was a three loop course with the same hill over and over. Okay. And a third time. <laughs> so <laughs> love me some hills. So that's kind of nice. Though. Any words exchanged with that uh, that gentleman when you passed him? Uh, no, it was on the bike. I think I yelled something like. Uh, on your left. Well, no, no, I just, I, I actually was trying to, I thought it'd be cool if I told him like, Hey, let's go for the course record. So I actually tried to say that, but I think it came out like, and then I just kept going. So windy and yeah, it was, it was too windy and I was a little bit out of breath, but (laughs) yeah, we were, we were well off the, we were about a minute off the course record, I think. So, so three lap run course with a hill in it. Yep. Yeah. And you are all on your own. Yeah. Uh, motivation was hard. As you know, when you're out by yourself, yeah. motivation's tough. How was, how were the legs getting off the bike? Did they feel wobbly at all? You know, first race of the year, first I, race of the year, I, yeah. I wish I could sit here and say the legs felt awesome because I've been training for them to feel awesome. They didn't. It was, it was jello coming off the bike for, yeah. for all of our cycling friends. Imagine when you get off the bike and you know, my little quad soreness, imagine them oh, yeah. breaking into a sprint right Not after enough. that. That's that feeling. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you've got some different issues going on, right? Because you've got like wet, cold, mm-hmm. you know, conditions and then you're, you're on the bike hard in the wind. So I imagine that there's just some numbness basically settling oh, into yeah. extremities yeah. and then you get off and the idea is to go hard, probably sub six minute pace. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. So, you know, there's, 17 by the end. I don't know. Yeah. yeah you actually mm-hmm. might've felt better running towards the end of it. Right. So, Oh, I mean, I, I felt comfortable going to that third mile. Those first two miles did just, and hurt, I mean, yeah. as Matt knows, like I trained for a 73 engine, yeah. the, the difference yeah. between that 73 engine and a sprint race is just night and day. Totally like I'm, I'm not even waking up into that run until mile three. I mean, I, there's no way I can put down the pace of some of these guys who specialize at that distance do. So in this race, how do they break the categories out or is it just an open event? So since, since it was a pool swim, what they had to do was they uh, broke it into your guesstimated swim time. So if you were starting at 8 a.m., you were a slower swimmer. Um, as it got closer to that 1030 group, uh, the 1030 group was supposed to be the, the fastest swimmers and just the the what they were hoping would be the nine or ten guys who were going to be competing for the race. So okay, and it, it's just based on you know chip time, and then they just kind of sort it all up when it's all done. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, very cool. How did that race end? Uh, I won victorious. Victorious. So, um, how you know how much money was in that race? Let's say it's a big prize purse. A uh, big zero. Oh yeah. no! Oh, wah, wah, wah. I know. You know, I, I actually thought that there was going to be a prize purse, yeah. but there was not. So okay. no. Do you have any of those podium girls to kiss you on the cheek? No, but it was raining, so I wouldn't have been able to feel the kisses anyway. Oh. It was very cold. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, there we we did have who we will talk about a little bit later. Uh, our boy Derek was there. Mm-hmm. Set his PR at that race, which he has been racing since he was just a wee lad. So, it's, it was awesome to see him really pull through and show some potential. No surprise that he is PRing at this point. He is going to be clipping at my heels and making me he feel is, very old very is, soon. <laughs> he is turning into an athlete, which is good. It's just, he just needed that that one extra step within the training program just to kind of get yeah. that feel for like what it takes to train hard and get Absolutely. there. So he, he, is, he was one of the fastest swimmers. I think he had the third fast, fourth last, fastest wow. split. Yeah, he's, he's just overdue. So yeah, good, good stuff. Well, congratulations, sir. Thank you, sir. Job well done. Yes. Today, he has earned a total domination Ooh. IPA from Ninkasi Brewing Company. <laughs> And that is what the three of us are drinking tonight. It's really the so. only reason that we race, right? Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> for the beers. Putting some calories in the bank for some beer. Exactly. Correct. 
Hey, Matt, tell me a little bit about what you had going on this past week. You had a kind of a neat little trip with your son. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, spring break, uh, I mentioned earlier for the kiddos and out of school. And uh, my oldest kid is seven. I have three boys, seven, five, and three. Will be three next week. So, um, so my wife flew the two younger ones down to Sacramento to visit the my sister-in-law, her sister. And um, I threw the bike in the car and drove down uh, with my oldest kiddo. And we just like did cool stuff, right? Like, so we, I was, I was hoping that we'd stop in the Redwoods, mm-hmm. uh, go for a run in the Redwoods and didn't happen. Uh, <clears throat> but we stopped in like Mount Shasta area and saw some waterfalls. And then um, we just tried to do cool stuff along the way as much as possible, take our time, get down there. And I did bring the bike. So I got a couple of bike rides in, in, in Northern Ooh, California, good. saw the sun briefly. And, so, uh, so for somebody who's new to this region, kind of de- describe yeah. that, r- that drive to me. Um, it's, you know, the way I did it was just straight down the five. So if you're going to do it, there's really cool different ways to go, right? Like you can go down the 101. It's just like along the coast, just ridiculous scenery. Um, Redwood National Forest, like the big, big trees, right? Like cool stuff that you can see. If you go down the five, which is the way that we did it, it's uh, it's an easier drive, of course. Um, but there's still cool stuff to see. We took a very small detour, maybe 30 minutes, and drove to see like three different sets of waterfalls. The waterfalls were called uh, McLeod Falls, and it was just like three different sets of waterfalls, just amazing. And right. a trail that's like that three or four miles. That's the long. video you have up on YouTube, right? Yeah, the McLeod's yeah. Fall. Um, I so I posted um, I posted a, a YouTube video of my youngest son kind of talking about the waterfalls and, and then showing some of the waterfalls and stuff like that. So um, so that's up there, and then uh, and then some other biking stuff. But um, I did a bike ride in Northern California. Uh, with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law. So it was pretty cool to have like family bike trip, you know, was, uh, there's just some cool places to bike. Um, this small town called like Winters, um, California. I'm sure some of our listeners will probably be like, oh yeah, of course you go biking in Winters. Like that's what you do. Uh, and it's just cool. Like we biked over there, sat down, had a coffee. It was, it was awesome. So, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of driving for <laughs> a short amount of time in California, but it was still, it was, it was a good trip. So. Awesome. You got a chance to ride with your father-in-law. This is a, one of those cool testaments to cycling, right. why I always, always beat the cycling drum. Tell us about your father-in-law real quick before we move on. Yeah. Um, he is just like, uh, he's one of those guys that you can kind of do anything, you know? He's uh, he's 70 and wow. yeah, right? And so like- Out hammering on his bicycle, yeah. so 70 years old. We were Love probably it. going 17, 18 miles an hour, you know, like- <clears throat> you know, decent wind and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, he just, you know, he'll say yes to whatever he's kind of, I think he's kind of just one of those natural athletes, um, like his daughter and, uh, he's, yeah, he's kind of up for, up for anything. Does he, does he put out better five second power than you? Oh yeah. (laughs) I would, I would put money on that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We add him to the drag race next time. Yeah. 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 I think, I think, I think we need to add somebody to our, our sprint off. Yeah. We can put him on the team for sure. Um, Is is Jake going to be our lead out for this? I know. I know we've talked about this. (laughs) Happy to oblige. I think, I think Jake has to be the lead out. That'll work. (laughs) Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Anything else this past weekend, guys? Uh, I don't know. Did you have any events? Were any events of yours canceled? Graveling. Yeah, it was kind of a bummer weekend. We had a nasty little storm blow through here, and the uh, local race promoter decided that it was in everyone's best interest to um, cancel the race. I mean, when you've got 
you know, groups exceeding 50 plus riders and you've got, you know, 20 to 30 mile an hour sustained with gusts of 40 to 50, it, that, that can get kind of nasty and kind of, kind of sketchy too, especially with, uh, the four or fives, <laughs> the, the triathletes were still out there. That is rare. A triath. I mean, Corrales, yeah. we, we, we definitely weren't having the weather you guys were, but there was 34, 40 mile an hour gusts. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I think they just had to play the safe card, not for nothing, but they uh, they didn't cancel the event. They rescheduled it to a weekend in May, and odds are we're going to have much better weather. So I'm fine with that. It was nice to good, be able good. to sleep in on Saturday morning instead. So I saw the cancellation, and I was just wasn't sure like the reasoning behind it. So weather related, it was all weather related. Okay, okay. So um, it was just not canceled. They said don't use the the nasty c word. It was more of the uh, the rescheduled variety, mm-hmm. and uh, I think we have that coming up in the middle of May, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then on Sunday, I uh, had a little chance for, uh, you know, some uh, bike riding out in the Dalles, and that was a lot of fun. It was called the uh, Gorge Gravel Grinder, and if you've never been through the, the Columbia River Gorge, it's something else. It's one of the most spectacular places on this planet Earth we live on, and uh, we were out in the Dalles, and we did some gravel grinding, so that was a... Uh, I did the medium route because I was supposed to be doing a bicycle race the day before, and I figured I'd ride with some friends. That ended up being uh, 75 miles and about 6,000 feet of elevation gain on a cyclocross bike mm. with some nasty freaking headwinds. It was um, it was something else. I mean, we pretty much had consistent headwinds that were 20 to 25 to 30 miles an hour for a better part of the course. There was just a small section, and it's like one of those things. I don't know what it is. It's You think, all right, well, if I'm going to ride out into this nasty headwind, when I come back, I'm supposed to have a tailwind, right? No, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. It's like, all right, well, let's just change the winds just a little bit, so you get to, you know, basically hammering into it on the way That's back. I mean, there was probably a section of about eight or nine miles that we had some nice tailwind. You're just kind of cruising along thirty miles an hour, not putting down too much work. Come around, and all of a sudden, it just slaps you upside the head, and you're like, no joke, putting up close to five hundred watts, going straight into the said wind, oh. averaging nine to ten miles an hour. It was brutal. People were just dying so, out there. People were cramping up, and it was so sad because that was the worst part of it. Was the last fifteen miles. It was just like, I want this race to be done. I want this to be over with, and I'm riding into this headwind. And it was a race too. I mean, yeah. it, it was a timed, uh, chip timed race that uh, people were out there competing for prizes and whatnot. And um, I didn't really go out there with the, the idea of racing. I was more out there to ride with friends and, and treat it more as like a training ride and kind of be a supportive. But people were out there racing. I'm like, man, I feel so bad for you. Yeah. you know, especially the ones that did the 100 mile variety. That was just nuts. So so was this in the Hood River area or? Yeah, yeah. Just east of uh, Hood River, the the town of Hood River, Hood River is. Oregon. Um, yeah. yeah, you're going to go out to the Dalles. And that's where okay. it was based out of. Everybody was oh, okay, kind Dalles, of staying in Hood River. There was some oh, nice okay. little hotels there and some cool. It's just a really neat little town. You can get out walk around and. I think they had like four bike shops there. It's just a tiny little town. They have four bike shops. I'm like, how do these guys do it? Uh, but that's just a test. Biking? Yeah, it's a lot of mountain biking, a little bit of road biking. But it's just a testament to how great of an area that is for riding. So And so let me ask you this. If if you were to, you know, have a friend come into town or something like that, is this a place you would go back and go out for a ride? Or Absolutely. It's worth the drive so over? So where we're at, we get a little bit socked in. And there's times of the year where right. you're here and you're just like, I am so dumb with the gray. I'm tired with the drizzle and the rain and all that other stuff. I need a reprieve from this. Um, hop in the car, drive about an hour and 20 minutes, and you're in the Dallas. And you get past... Uh, um, Hood River, just past Hood River, like the, the topography changes a little bit. You see a less forest. You see... Uh, it's not a desert look, but it's it's like high you know, desert, like high desert yeah. kind of stuff, like Central Oregon. You and, and the same at the same time, as soon as the chaparral changes, 
the the wind kicks up a little bit and all the clouds disappear and you get some sunshine so yeah. um the trade-off for the um the the sunshine is you, you definitely get some wind because that's the the open corridor from was it like the cascades and um gosh what is it would be south like you know you got all the sierras and all that other stuff like the mountain ranges so that's that's like the natural area for the the pressure systems to move through so it picks up the wind and yeah. for whatever reason you just see a lot of um uh, blue skies out there and it's kind of neat too because there's every time i go out there no joke you see a rainbow it's just the, yeah. the coolest yeah. thing because the, the, awesome. the, you got a little bit of the rain it's just like right there you can kind of see it but it doesn't come touch you and then you get the, you know, the so sun coming through. i think hood river is like one of the areas that's big for like kite surfing yep and <laughs> you know the, the reason is because you have all this wind right yep. so yep and so they yeah. were out there when we were out there so they? Yeah. the day before we went out and just did a little shakedown ride and uh, there's some kite surfers out there I'm like, yeah that's cool so yeah that is so cool to watch i was hiking dog mountain today <clears throat> and from the top you could see a bunch of kites or well, yeah. what is it kite surfing is that the correct term yeah um well there's kite surfing and there's wind surfing and I think, wind surfing yeah, okay so. yeah well i think they're different so yeah yeah so it was all in all it was a great weekend it was um Really tough. We'll talk about this a little bit later on. But when somebody hands you a timed chip or chip timing <laughs> thing, and you have to strap it on and, and wear it for the event, and you're uh, a competitive guy, and you're you're going out there with the notion that you're not racing this, you're not racing this, you're not racing this, and they put that chip on you, and you're like, oh crap, I feel like I need to race this. So, <laughs> right. but um, I, I mind my p's and q's. So it was uh, it was good. So, but um, yeah. So that was that was my weekend. Was nice. Good stuff, yeah. So um, it, it's. Uh, it's it's good to you know be back here and have the kids back in in school now and um we're back to our our normal grind and we can get back to our normal routines which would be kind of good so um speaking of it's kind of good to get back into a normal training routine and um we have a lot of local athletes too who are you know following their training routine and there's one in particular we kind of alluded to earlier um have you been coaching derek um i would say it's a it's a partnership there is um I, I draw up his workouts each week and we kind of go from there with him. It's kind of like a mentorship almost. Yeah. He, he, he has a lot of creative autonomy with his training, which I kind of see a lot of myself when I was younger in him, gotcha. uh, where he's kind of headstrong in a good way. He's <clears throat> trained himself and kind of built a really good engine and he wants to continue to train himself cause he does know what's good for his training. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, uh, he's, he's definitely, uh, uh, as for my help with biking and running, he's kind of got the swimming under under his own control. Gotcha, gotcha. And uh, Derek is um, he he's part of the dialed triathlon crew. He's yeah, part of the dialed yep. tri- dialed cycling team as well. He's a strong kid. How old is Derek again? Twenty. Oh, if I mess this up, twenty three. That's a great guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna. Oh, Derek shouldn't be so mad if I got the wrong. Twenty three. <laughs> I'm think, going with twenty three. That sounds about right. <laughs> Maybe twenty four. He's close. And yeah. he was out there at the. Oh, he just turned twenty four actually. His we birthday did. was a couple weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. Well, happy birthday, Derek. Um, mm-hmm. He was out there at the Beaver Freezer. Yes. <laughs> what an intimidating name. <laughs> <laughs> How did he do at the Beaver Freezer? He was he was great. Uh, he came in fifth, I believe, once okay. the uh, the result the timing company was um, yeah. rough. What happened? So uh, do you man. know what happened? Like the so I you know these guys race and I wanted yeah. to find out how they did. So you go check the internet and it's you know you go look for the results, right? You don't want to call these guys and ask them how they did. No, you want to go find out for yourself. <laughs> don't believe me. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to believe you anyway. So I go and I pull the results and it just says there are no results for 2018. They they sent us a detailed email apologizing oh. for. Now, it is not the Beaver Freezer group. It's not the Oregon State <laughs> Triathlon Club. I want to make that clear. It has nothing to do with uh, how, how they operated. It was the timing company, Racewire, um, was 
really bad, just to be honest. I'll speak freely about it. Uh, they were not good. And um, I used to work for a timing company uh, called Speedy Feet back in Ohio, a big Southern Ohio race company that was owned by one of my best friends, Jeff Kudron, who was one of the hardest working people I'll ever meet. Um, we would get to races 4 a.m. to set up. He would. I'd get there at 5 a.m. because I'm lazy. But he was, I mean, just he would work. He would, if anybody had a messed up time, he would go back into the pictures and calculate out their splits. I mean, we did 5Ks, triathlons, bike races. He was just a stalwart in that community. And so I have a lot of respect for good timing companies. And what I saw over the weekend was a bad timing company. So what kind of stuff did you what kind of stuff did you see? So for for instance, at the beginning of the race, they made an announcement that if you had crossed a timing pad, you needed to go up to the finish line to tell them that they needed to reset your your time, which is fine. Um, I've I've been there before where you kind of have to control people crossing the mats once they become live, especially a race that has a lot of waves. So anybody who's interested in how the timing goes on in these things, because there, there's a lot of work that goes into it. So for future reference, if you, especially at bike races or triathlons, if if you get a chance to thank the timing company, if they're a good one, uh, make sure you do, because those are guys who get there very early and work very hard. But, um, so <laughs> I, uh, my, myself being very dumb, I had accidentally crossed one of the mats and realized, oh, I need to go up to the finish line. Um, so I went up to the finish line, talked to the race organizer, uh, organizer who said, go ahead and go talk to the tent right over there, uh, where they're doing the timing. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I go over there and, um, there's this poor woman who does not speak English there. Um, which was interesting to me that she was the only person at the timing tent after they told a bunch of people to go up there and she doesn't speak English. And we had no idea where anybody else was cause she couldn't tell us. Oh man. <laughs> so me, Derek and 30 other people who had done the same thing kind of sat there and were like, all right, well, we'll just tell them after the race. Now me knowing how race companies know, I know that that's easy. All you have to do is you reset from a certain wave and then you basically uh, take the start time, you plug in the start time for those bib numbers and then you get their finish times. So that's the only adjustment you have to make. Um, those adjustments were not made at the end. So the race organizer, uh, organizer had to, luckily he was keeping track of the race and knew who was first through 10th basically. This is Blair, right? So yeah, uh, Blair and the guy who was working with him okay. too, the best in the West crew. Okay. Yeah. The race organization company is called best of the West and the, you know, it's a pretty young group that yeah. is in charge of that. They're, they're fantastic. Super they're nice great, guys. Really yeah. great people. Yeah. And they did yeah. great with the situation that they were handed there. Yeah. Yeah. They did a really good job of adjusting that because I've been there before and I know that when those guys start crossing, it's hard to keep track of where the fast guys are because they're coming across with the slower guys there too. So right. it's um, it's a tough thing to keep track of, and they did a great job um, of keeping track of that. So yeah, um, we'll see how this next week goes and see if they can figure it out. And if not, you know, it's nothing against Oregon State Tri Club and Blair's group, but uh, they probably need to look into a different timing company next so, yeah, year. So as a timing company, once you've lost track of results, they're just gone. It, it's a nightmare. They're it's gone, right? I mean, um, like you're, I don't know if they even have like photos to go back and double check. Right? So it's, they, they do, but since it's a, it, since it's a triathlon, they would just be getting finishing times. So if this was Jeff, I'll, I'll say if, if this was Jeff Kudron, this was speedy feet, he would stay up all night and go through the pictures and get everybody's times. Right. Uh, I don't see a lot of other people doing that. I just, it, that takes a massive amount of commitment. So yeah, we'll see. Very unfortunate. So, um, back to the, the, the whole 
um, finish and, and Derek and he did he win his particular category? Um, yes, I yes. Derek, Derek was the first eighteen to twenty four um, uh, across the line, so he was first in his age group, and he was fifth overall, finishing behind uh, me, uh, a couple two local stalwarts, Sean Hunter, and another. Um, I'm going to forget the other guy's name, but another fast guy. And then I think fourth place was a little bit unexpected, but the guy raced really well. So gotcha. Derek was just Good. under an hour. Good. Yeah. You guys both know Derek pretty well too. What, what's something that you say would say that makes Derek a, a special athlete? What, you know, what sets him apart and, and what kind of trajectory do you think he has for the future of triathlon? Well, I think this is just a kind of a key point in his, you know, triathlon career. He's just figured out how to, how to train, like what it takes, like, you know, and it, it's, it's kind of like the pot calling kettle black, right? Like, so he's, you know, he'll be like, Hey Matt, I'll be like, man, my swimming is just not getting any better. And he'll be like, Hey Matt, you're swimming. Like you go out there and you swim a thousand meters or 2000 meters. Like you need to step it up. <laughs> and I'm looking and I'm like, yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. And like thinking back, you know, when I was a runner, it's like, Oh, well, why were you a good runner? Well, you run hundred miles a week. You're going to get pretty good at it. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you know, definitely need to take some of the own medicine, you know, of like, okay, I'm definitely not swimming enough. Okay. To be a decent swimmer. But, but I think Derek has figured out, you know, on the triathlon perspective, like he's figuring out the run, he's figuring out the bike. You have to put in a lot of work. His swim was already good. I mean, he was putting in three, 4,000 meter swims for, you know, for quite a bit of time. You know, he spent some time in bend. Uh, he trained with some excellent athletes there, but I think he, he had the swim and now I think he's figuring out the rest of it and he's figuring out how to train. So, I just, I expect to see him do extremely well. I expect him to kind of, you know, you asked like, okay, well, how did he do in his, his, um, category? I think, you know, for him, I think the great thing is to, to look beyond that, you know, like, okay, yeah, he did fine in his category, won his category, but like he should win his category. Like the next step is like, how's he doing overall? Like what's the next step? Is he going to go to nationals? How's he going to do nationally? Right? Like you can just, as soon as you start to look past, you know, age group victories or whatever that is, then I think you get a better perspective on like becoming a better athlete. Yeah. So, and he, he, he will be at nationals this year. That right. is, yeah, that, so. that is for sure. And how about this? A little shout out to his mom, Stephanie. She had a Go, quite Stephanie. the, quite the triumph this week. And I know it was a battle for her and I know that she had some, uh, some issues that she had to deal with during her uh, her seventy point three, if I'm not mistaken, down the Oceanside half. She was at Oceanside, yeah, yeah. absolute she, champ. Just real quick, Matt, can you give us a, a brief breakdown of what she's gone through in about the past? Was it like sure. year, year and a half? Yeah. Um, so Stephanie is just this amazing person. Um, this is Derek's mom, Stephanie Rubuklava. She's uh, she's just an avid triathlete. She's just been really, um, I'd say, like a a key person in the triathlon community. Just like. Uh, whether it's through Facebook or just, you know, being in this particular area, just drumming up a ton of support and just encouraging anyone, like any single person that's interested in the sport to come out, do stuff. She's constantly like picking races in the future. Like this is scary, but I'm going to do this particular event and she can somehow corral groups of people to do it with her. So she's just a fantastic person in the community. Now, I think I would say two or three years ago, she had a very bad crash, bike crash. Yep. Where, um, and I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't, I know she hurt her back. Um, 
and and she's okay. She, you know, that was the big thing is is that there was it was a tough crash. Um, she's obviously she's back on the bike. She's doing well. Uh, I think she's had to make some adjustments. She has, and it was it was a pretty traumatic thing. I mean, yeah. she had a, a, a nasty concussion and, and amnesia, and I, I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with her in, in great detail, and I don't want to get into specifics, but I right. know that she mentioned that they had to revive her. They had to bring her back to life, and she had a, a little bit of an out-of-body experience, which was, um, it, it, it kind of shakes you a little bit, but to see how she persevered and how she said, you know what, I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm not going to let it stop me. I'm not going to let anything get in my way, despite the fact that I'm having, you know, the aches and pains and bumps and bruises that go through the, going through the process right. of getting herself back to, you know, fitness and back to her, um, her training. She did it. She went out and she, she, she put this on her calendar. And I remember the scene the day that she posted up, like I've done it. I'm signing up. I'm going to do Oceanside half. She went out and she did it this past weekend. Yeah. So, so she was descending, uh, Mount St. Helens. Yeah. I don't know if you, if Derek's talked about this, but like, yeah, they, not, no. and then they choppered her out, right? So oh, wow. I mean, it was, it was not. Uh, I mean, I know just, just in my short time knowing her, I already know she's a fighter, but that's, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that is, gives a new perspective. Yeah. She, she fought through, and for, for anybody who saw a result at Oceanside, she had two flats yeah. there, which, <laughs> No, knowing myself, uh, if I flat once in a triathlon, yeah, I'm going to fully admit it's right. over. I'm packing yeah. it up. So <laughs> heading home. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't a bike race. I'm not changing was, that flat. And she was determined to finish, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, for her, I'm just going to, I'm going to be like, Steph, we got to get you some like puncture resistant tires. We got to do something like <laughs> She got to start riding tubular. Is she riding tubular right yeah. now? No, I don't ride tubular. Just ride tubular. She's got to ride tubular. Uh, I don't know. No, I'm not no, a fan no. of the tubies. So, oh, we're going to disagree on this. This will be a fun this topic will be, later. Yeah, this will be good. Yeah, I, I also disagree. I think it's a, I think that's a mistake. I'll, yep. be, I'll be in the minority there. Okay. Yep. okay. And you can stay in the minority. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that Stephanie did mention too that she spent, I think it was like 45 or 50 minutes sitting on the side of the road waiting for some SAG support. So that really cut into her time and that was after dealing with a couple puncture flats and and you know just general things that they go on throughout the course of the day so um but what's really cool is she wanted to make the cutoff she she did not want a dnf on her record she got it done once she got herself back up pumped up and, and rolling again she fought hard and she got through before um they they closed down the finish so she did it and I'm proud of her for that. And I know that she'll come back and she'll do it again and she'll she'll um, improve upon that. And uh, Stephanie, if you're listening, we talked today and the offer's still out there. You can come on by for that uh, that workshop on, on changing a, a flat tire in five minutes flat. So <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> five minutes flat, then we're gonna get yeah. that down to a, yeah. a science. So it's it's the, the the fifth discipline of triathlon, changing a flat. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so many there's so many fourth and fifth I know, disciplines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can we, that can definitely be something that we can chat about. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, we're going to do this again next time. We're going to talk about um, another local athlete, and his name is going to be Sir Ian Gibson. He is a, uh, a local cyclist here I've been racing with for about three years now. And man, oh man, the boy's killing it. Um, he is just, he's hes a whole different beast on the bike. So I'm really looking forward to talking about Ian next go around. So, um, but yeah, but anything else to say about Derek? Any any last uh there's a there's there's a you know just just keep track of his results this year he's uh he's coming on strong and he's got a pretty big training block coming up right now so we'll see okay. how he does with it it'd be fun to have him come on the podcast too because he's ah, that's fun great idea. he's yeah. enjoyable he's, yeah. a, he, he's a funny young yeah. guy and like we're boring and old so yeah. I, 
I feel like he would bring some, you know, like liveliness. Yeah. yeah. And he's up in Bellingham. Bellingham right yeah. now. So yeah. He's he's, fi- he's finishing up. A, he's st- studying to become an electrician. So he's going into his last year of that after this year. Excellent. And I think he comes back summertime. So uh, yeah. we'll yep. have to have him in yep. for sure. That'd be a lot of fun. All right. Moving forward, we've got another topic that we wanted to cover today. Um, it's something that uh, all of us who've raced, I'd say just about all of us, can want to be. Um, missing the mark here because maybe there's some of you freaks out there that don't deal with this, but pre-race anxiety and stress. That is something that has probably, uh, well, for you guys as well, it's probably haunted you at some point in time. It's something that I've dealt with and it absolutely sucks because I'm super competitive and I don't want to let myself down. I don't want to let my teammates down. I don't want to let my family down and anybody is paying attention and it's probably a bunch of undue stress that I placed myself that I don't need to. But, um, tell me a little bit about your, uh, your, your dealings with anxiety and pre-race stress. Sure, um, yeah. Matt, why don't you so, kick it off here absolutely. for us? Absolutely. So I've been racing probably since I was, I don't know, 12 or something, right? Like just a lot of running races mm-hmm. and running has the tendency to turn your stomach like upside down to begin with, right? So you add pre-race, pre-race anxiety to that. And I was just a victim, right? Like you just GI have, issues that we could talk about. Well, in detail. Sure. I mean, like, so in, you know, high school, we would have like secret bathrooms, like go this, you go to this race, you go to, you know, this secret bathroom, you go to this other race, like, and you go to the bathroom like 20 times, right? Like before the <laughs> race or whatever, uh, cause your stomach's just doing flips. Um, but you know, and then, uh, later on we would make more and more jokes about like, oh man, you know, you do these, all these workouts and you're ready to have this big race. Right. And it's just like, you, you can assess the race that you should have based upon the workouts that you're doing. Like, uh, you know, ideally, I remember my coach used to say like, oh, you know, when I was doing these same workouts, I was running like 410 in the mile. Like, what's your problem? You know, I could hit the workouts, right? And, and we would call those guys like workout warriors, right? They can just crush these workouts, but they can't race. Uh, and a lot of that for me personally, I think, was, was pre-race anxiety. Um, and it just took a long time to just figure it out. And, uh, I think that, you know, now that I, that I coach, you know, uh, high school athletes, you know, for me, it's like, that's one of my worries with them is, you know, Hey, I see, you know, I see that you're amped up and that's good. Um, but we, we want to kind of like figure out this happy medium where we're not, you know, over anxious and basically, um, you know, absolutely crushing our chance to have a decent race by, by, you know, blowing through every bit of energy that you have or or just getting so nervous that you just don't perform as you should um so so you know two sides of the coin right like definitely had this definitely i feel like i overcame it and i don't necessarily have a great you know like here's how to overcome it but for me it was just like hey try to relax try to relax try to relax because i know for me that i'm way overstimulated you know, prior to races and that still today, right? Like, you know, even if I go race anything, you know, whether that's an, you know, Ironman, obviously you're like way amped up, but you know, even like the small races, like local races, it's just, I have to tell myself like, no big deal, get into the race, you know, like this race is an hour or whatever it is. There's plenty of time to kind of work yourself into the race. So that's some of the stuff that's helped me just kind of constantly reminding myself, if you want to kind of get amped up, you can do that towards the end of the race. You've got time. So um, for my athletes, it's, it's, you know, it's a little worrisome because 
You don't want them, you know, half asleep at the starting line uh, because there's benefits to having some anxiety and, and having some, uh, you know, they'll call this like the arousal curve, which is probably a bad name for it. You know, I mean, you know, that's not the way. But anyway, uh, we, <laughs> we get it. Don't worry. Right. So, you know, you don't want to be completely asleep, but you don't want to be overly aroused either. You know, again, a horrible name. But the bell curve, and you want to be right smack dab in the middle where, you know, you you need to figure out where that is for you. And for me... I get overstimulated and I need to bring myself back. And so that's what I'm sensitive to with my racers. I'm usually out there saying, relax, 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 relax. And then it's like getting towards the end of the race. Okay, now go, right? Like that's what you'll hear me say to athletes all the time. Like, hey, relax, 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 breathe, 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 relax. Okay, now, right? So, so, so Matt, in the, in, in today's day and age, so when you were growing up with running, um, social media was non-existent. Didn't exist, yeah. So do you notice that 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 the presence of social media has increased pre-ranks uh, anxiety, especially in track and cross-country kids where they can constantly be checking what is this kid across the state doing right now? What is his training looking like? You know, I mean, throughout the the week, I feel like that can build some stress. Something like Strava, too. You know, Jake, yeah. we can talk about it. You can look oh, at big time. guys you're racing, all of a sudden you look at there and you're like, that guy just put out a 300-mile week. Yep. Like he's going to be ready to go. I mean, yep. that, that was not a thing 20 years ago. You, nope. there's no, you had no idea what people were doing in training. Nope. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So for me, it wasn't always stress due to someone else being in the race or whatever. Like it was just additional stress that I was putting on myself prior to a race. However, I do think, and, and there's another piece to it where it's like, you know, at a certain point you get towards the front of a field, you'll get to recognize people, you know, so-and-so whether, you know, Previous to social media, you just knew so and so. You've raced them before, or you know, like they're one of the national guys or whatever. You know, this person's good, you know, and that's gonna stress you out a little bit. I think now the social media side of things, in in my humble opinion, I think it's been extremely good for the sport because you'll see, hey, this person, you said like three hundred, this person put a three hundred mile weekend, blah 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 blah. I think that's good for the sport, whether that's running or cycling or whatever it raises expectations. It raises the, I'd say expectations for training, right? Where it's like, you know, if someone's telling you, Hey, great job doing that 20 mile week that you did, you know, you're going to crush it this weekend. You, you, maybe you should step it up. Like there might be someone else that you see and you say, okay, I'm getting this information over here. But the consensus online is that, you know, training, you know, there's some more training that could be done. So, so going into the actual like pre-race, sure. like, yeah. let's, let's look at the timeline there. Where is it worst for you? Um, is it right before the race? Is it the morning of the race? Is it the day before the race or is it the whole week before the race? What, what, what for you, what, what's the worst part? So once the gun goes off, I'm good. Yeah. I would agree with that so, too. Yeah. Oh, yes. And I think, yeah, and this is pretty standard stuff, right? But right prior to that is when the nerves are at their highest. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, for me, it's like I'm the typical, like, you know, one hour prior to the race, you know, your stomach starts, you know, it should be uh, either completely cleared by that point or like you're get you're going towards the bathroom to get everything, you know. So there's a lot of like stomach issues for sure. And then, uh, you know, once the gun goes off, everything's everything's good to go and you settle into your race. Yep. So. Yep. Yep, for sure. How about you, uh, Evan? For for myself, I think I'll I'll keep mine short because to be honest, uh, I consider myself very lucky to be somebody who really 
I don't go through a lot of pre-race anxiety. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody who's been around me on a race day knows, uh, outside of maybe early in my triathlon career, where I was right. probably a stress ball for people I was dating at that time, um, I apologize, but uh, especially last four or five years, it's been, I'm goofy on race day, uh, I try to just relax, um, I try to talk about anything but triathlon. Uh, for, for me, especially as my training loads and intensity increased, uh, the race is either, for me, decided prior to the race. Right. And that's what I convince myself. So yeah. when I'm lining up, um, I always like to think if I'm in a certain level of fitness, I know that if I'm hurting, the guy next to me is hurting just as bad. So I try to convince myself of that prior to the race. So, And so some of the coping mechanisms that you use is kind mm -hmm. of like this either change of topic or yeah. like joking and things like that. And I think that these tools are fantastic for, mm -hmm. you know, people that are new to racing to start to like figure out their own personal set of tools. And it may not be like joking around because, you know, maybe we use something like that or whatever, but like it might not be your set of tools that you use, but finding something to help you kind of like either take your mind off the situation mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Some For some people, it's just like being super organized and having yeah. things packed a certain yeah. way. It's Getting like super early to a race sure. too. For, yeah. for, I mean, for, for me, I get there very early because that hour before that you're talking about, I don't want to be even thinking about anything right. outside of just hanging out and getting ready. So there's never any sense placing any undue stress no. on yourself. And exactly. that, that's a, that's exactly. a good point. So, um, I think there's something to be said too, for like just the sense of familiarity. So if you've done the race mm -hmm. before, I mean, that definitely takes a big edge off, but if you haven't, there are some coping mechanisms I think that you can get into. And a few of them are, um, you know, having a mentor or a coach that can walk you through that process and kind of telling you what to expect. And especially somebody, if they know your fitness levels and they know the course and they know what the race is all about, they can give you some clear, honest expectations of how it's going right. to fold out for you. Um, you can, you know, obviously get on there and do your Strava stocking and see what people are <laughs> are putting out there what kind of training weeks they've had and, and looking at their training blocks and seeing you know, how they've done in the past. You can go look at race results from years prior to see how they finished. Um, that's going to give you an idea, but that almost kind of makes it worse. But having a coach there to walk you through it, to talk you through it, and to let you know like, hey, this is how a race typically unfolds. Here's where your fitness lines up with that. And this is what you can pretty much expect. And you might have an off day or you might have a great day, but this is about where you're going to finish. And um, then it becomes your, your, your challenge to make sure that you try and best that. So, yeah. And there's definitely different strategies. Um, my, myself being somebody who's, you know, had seasons of bike racing, seasons of triathlon, seasons of running racing. Um, triathlons to me, ironically, were the least stressful. Yeah, I get so that. yeah, because it is, that race is hundred percent under your control outside of mechanical on the bike, yep. you know, like that's show, yep. that. Mm -hmm. And I know people talk <clears throat> about open water stuff, but if you've been putting in the training in open water, you know, your comfort level there. Yep. Um, bike racing to me was very stressful mm -hmm. because, uh, it, it's such a dynamic race and there's so much going on that you can be going in there. You know, you can be the guy with the highest FTP in that race and not win the race. So that's seen it. Yep. yep. <laughs> Jake, Jake's been that guy in a race, I'm sure, but oh, yeah, you get targeted and you, uh, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll take advantage of that. And I've been in a race with a guy that had the, the craziest FTP. I mean, I watched this guy in a race go solo off the front for 60 miles and held for 60 miles, mind you, I think it was 355 watts by himself, and he rode away for the entire oh field, gosh. and we never saw him again. You know, But then I saw that same guy come to another race, uh, I think it was a year later, if I'm not mistaken, and he was um, he was targeted, and they played him to a T. I mean, and it, it frustrated the hell out of him, but 
at the end of the day, he uh, he got marked and, and they they played him just right. And he you know he can FTP it all day long, but he didn't have the biggest sprint. And you know the team that that supported the the right guy took him down at the, the sprint finish, and that yeah. was the end of that. So you see you see it at the top level. You know, I mean. Yeah. Peter Sagan <laughs> so, doesn't win every race he goes exactly. into, you know, I mean, yeah. Eddie Merckx didn't win every race that he went yeah, exactly. into. So, so yeah, but, um, yeah, but just making sure that you have people to talk to. And that's another thing that I really preach with team as well, because you've got people who have been there, done that, that can, again, mentor you through the process and they can help take the edge off, talk you off that cliff of, Hey, you know, I, 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 I just can't come down and, and it, it can be tough. And if you really, if it affects you so much, it can have an adverse effect on your race big time. I've been there. I mean, I've had races where I've put so much um, pressure on myself, not consciously doing it, but I wanted to do so well for myself and for my team. And, you know, people have expectations of you that, you know, it's like the night before and you're tossing and turning and tossing and turning and tossing and turning. It's like two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I've got to get up at five o'clock in the morning. I've got three hours of sleep and I've got to go do a 60 mile race on the bubble tomorrow just and, and, and perform. How am I going to do that? You finally fall asleep and your alarm clock's supposed to go off at five o'clock and then all of a sudden you're bright eyed and bushy tailed at four o'clock in the morning because your body's like, let's go race bicycles. And yeah. well, by the way, let's let's be stressed while we're we're thinking about this whole process of getting down there. It it really sucks and it, it really will do a number on you. And you so so Jake, what, what would you say for you is it is it the day of uh well the, the 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 night before is where you're most stressed, or would you say it's that entire kind of lead up week? And I know obviously with bike racing, you're racing almost every week through the season, so yeah. it's you know it, it's not the same it's week getting, prior. It's getting better, and I'm I'm learning to deal with it more as time goes on. And I I guess I mature a little bit more, but um, my wife will attest to this as well. But it's pretty much the day before and the night of, and I I've come up with a routine that works pretty well for me. And people even sometimes like shake their head and like, really, you eat that for dinner the night before a race? Yeah. But <laughs> I. I have not heard this. <laughs> okay. So just for the listeners, what do you eat the night before? Um, I think, Matt, you caught me red-handed. What was it the, the night before? Okay, uh, so I was on a date night with my wife, and uh, we we pulled up to park, and we were going to go into this restaurant, not the sushi restaurant. But we <laughs> looked through the window, and, and I saw Jake and his family at the sushi restaurant. Oh, let's go in there and say hi, you know? Uh, sushi sushi the <laughs> night before race i know it's it's stupid i know it's like what's your go-to like roll i mean do you, do you have like a specific sushi you'll go for or uh yeah it's you know tuna and salmon are pretty much the, the, okay. the, the worst idea ever that is incredible <laughs> I, I am on a mission to convince you that this is a bad idea you know it's just something about the salt and the, the soy sauce There's, and mixed with that okay, wasabi so, and okay. then you get some good protein in there how about wasabi i, I believe i mean <laughs> it it makes sense i mean like i know sushi she has rice this. yeah yeah so okay well, well we'll go around the table here i'll say mine real quick okay. um i don't do it anymore but for about four or five years right. at big races i would always do a uh black bean burger and Ooh. a piece of carrot cake the okay. piece of carrot cake was funny i actually have a t-shirt that says power of the carrot cake on it <laughs> i had a group of friends we were all triathletes and for whatever reason somebody ate a carrot piece of carrot cake before a race once had a good race had a great race yeah and everybody like I mean, an entire team of people in Southern Ohio now have carrot cake before races. That's awesome. How about I, you, Matt? I, um, I feel like I used to like try, you know, this is a long time ago that we would, you know, eat big pasta dishes and things like that to carbo load for your 5K race that you... <laughs> Makes no uh, sense. Yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, so you, you have that tradition. And now I just feel like I don't get wrapped up in it as much. I do other things like... Um, 
for big races, I'll drink uh, beet juice and stuff like that, there like the go. week oh, prior yeah. to it, which yep. I, you know, I actually kind of have hydration crucial to. for a week out. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and I'll do that. But, um, but you know, my wife will be like, oh, this is an Ironman race. Like you've been training for this race for about a year. Like, what do you want the night before for dinner? Which is awesome that she even asks. Right. And I'm just like, whatever, you know, like, and, I'm, and I'll tell her like nothing crazy not sushi (laughs) (laughs) hey you know what that has been going on for i want to say about 10 years now okay and i am i'm batting a thousand with that it it, seems to be working pretty well for you it is what is folks don't try that at home though yeah (laughs) yeah it's uh it's definitely a funny thing but um but yeah again routine i mean the the night before a race Mm -hmm. the day of a race having a routine um a checklist is uh, has uh been something that I've come back to, to rely on. I've got a neat little app on my phone that I use and I keep a, a checklist of all of the things that I could ever possibly need to take to a race that I would need to be, you know, successful and have what I need there. I know it sounds stupid and you're like, dude, you just need your bike, a helmet and some shoes. No. It's, I mean, it's a lot more in depth than that. So. Coming from running where you literally just need a pair of shoes, like you would be like, okay, you need to race singlet or what, you know, whatever in shoes. And then like switching to triathlon. Oh, triathlon's Where nightmare. you're like, holy moly, like, I hate this sport. <laughs> I hate this sport just because you have three pages of checklists. Like, yeah. do I have my nip guards? Like, do I have yeah, my... Crucial. Oh, <laughs> I forgot to put body glide here. Like, guess I can't walk next yeah, week. You know, crucial. like, there's just so many stupid little things that, you know, like... Yeah. Um, you know, what about like the little ankle bracelet? You know, if you use the one that the race comes with, they, you know, you'll actually have like a cut through your ankle. I don't know. It's like I, I always these. use just the race bracelets. Yeah. And I, I mean, every, doesn't hurt, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it does. I just, okay. I just deal with it every day. Pull, pull your sock down for a second. It's yeah. actually, it's actually okay this time. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, we're good. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. I've had like, you know, a Fre- huge gash through my ankle, yeah. like just wears. No, my my shaving before the race already does yeah. that. So I probably cut okay. that ankle so many times yeah. that, you know, just yeah. hardened over time. Yeah, you know, and um, just making sure that you get all of the minutiae done, like days leading up. Make sure that you're, you're not like waiting till the night before to, you know, do the basic maintenance stuff on your bike to make sure that that's ready. Make sure that's done in advance. Make sure that all of your crap's charged up and, you know, just kind of. Kind of coming into the week easy and having that checklist and, and having a routine. Pin the damn number on your jersey the night before, too. That's such a pain in the putt the day of. That is my number one thing that I hate about bike racing. I hate pinning the damn number on my jersey. It's the worst. Jake, thanks for pinning that number on me in the last race, the right before the race, actually. Yeah. Jack Frost. There is, there's an art form to that. We could have an entire like little bit on, I mean, it can't be too tight. can't be too loose. You're losing all that aero benefit from that skin suit you just bought. Yeah. And that's... It's a, it's a pain in the butt. So get that done the night before and, um, just, you know, finding like a a routine that works well for you. And I try and I'll even make myself, um, get up super early, like days leading up to that, just so it makes me go to bed earlier so that I am tired going to that race. And so I am acclimated and, and it's just the little things like that. Get to know yourself and, and stop and, and you're, it's going to happen to you. Make a list of all the things that, that, that bugged you, that, that were kind of like getting out of you and that, that you knew were a problem. Make a list and figure out a, a, a comprehensive way and a, a, you know, an effective way to go about you know, solving those problems for yourself because we're all going to be a little bit different. We're all going to have the little things that set us off or trigger us and um, talk with people, rely on your teammates and just do what you got to do to, to iron it out because you can. It's, it's feasible. Yeah, and talking a week prior leading up along with the mental preparation that goes into that, uh, nutritionally, I know um, I, I've, I don't do this nearly as strictly as I used to, 
But uh, historically, just like Matt had mentioned, uh, there's the, you know, the carb load the night before races for, for, you know, a 5k, we used to do that for soccer too, yeah. which I find that hilarious for soccer. But, um, there's definitely, uh, some interesting opinions out there, research. I'm sure a nutritionist will comment on here and say that I disagree with what you're saying right now. But, uh, there's for, for years I did, uh, carb depletes, uh, the week before races. So the, the theory behind this, I'll explain really quick. The, the physiology behind that is, uh, basically what you do is you are the week before a race depleting your, um, glycogen stores and your body responds by upregulating glycogen stores and creates more. So then what you do is the two to three days before the race, you actually start slowly increasing your complex carb intake. You will naturally be at your race weight by that point without having to, you know, dehydrate yourself or sit in a sauna or something, you know, the, the, the night before a race, but it gets your body more primed than I think just a simple carb load does. So some of the tour guides. So I don't know if you, this is like probably I'm guessing at least five or 10 years ago, like they used to talk about like how some of the tour guys would do this. They would basically purposely have like a spot, you know, a day prior to the day that they want to have a big performance and they would, you know, let themselves go all the way down to, you know, the classic, like we call it like a bonk, right? You know, so they would purposely bonk, you know, completely deplete their glycogen storage on a bike, have kind of a rough day, be mid pack or whatever it is. And then, you know, hit, you know, they would load up and have like their big performance the next day, whether it was like a mountain stage or whatever it is. But like, I know this was probably back in like that Lance Armstrong time frame or whatever, but we should go back and kind of like double check some of the nutrition stuff that they used to do. I think they, I'm wondering so, if they still do it. So you're, you're completely right there. Okay. And, um, I've read quite a bit on Jan Ulrich who, uh, um, for yeah. anybody who's our cycling history buffs here, he was the German Kaiser, yeah. uh, a what I mean I'm I'm gonna say non-doping he was the winner of the 98 tour the year before Lance won uh so Jan was classically known for and if you know Jan now he's put on quite a bit of weight <sighs> since his career but he uh was your classic and you know uh deplete and gorge sort mm -hmm. of athlete um this is the not healthy side of that era yeah. so he had an obsession with chocolate and he was known for microwaving uh, bits of Nutella, mm -hmm. and he would drink them. That's how much this man loved chocolate. Wow. Yeah. So, but he was so before the tour, he would always be. His coach would say he was probably usually ten to twenty pounds overweight, what he wanted to be at. And everybody who comes from the cycling world knows, you know, this is a touchy subject. But this is just showing the the bad side of this. Uh, he would go on the week before the tour ridiculously long rides and he would get back from these rides eat celery and take sleeping pills and pass out so that he could get down to race weight um what he was indirectly doing was depleting his glycogen stores um he was doing a lot of damage uh otherwise but that's what you were going off of matt and he would eat quite a bit them the night before the the initial pro walk crazy times no thanks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll touch a little bit more on this topic. I think there's a lot of stuff that we can dive into, but um, we'd be kind of curious to hear from some other folks out there. Some of you, if you're listening, if you have pre-race anxiety, tell us a little bit about it. Send us an email, info at dialedcycling.com. Um, we'd like to hear uh, all of the stories and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into them and we'll see if we can come up to, with some solutions for you. So that'd be good stuff. Um, kind of jumping on to the next and uh, I think final subject for the, the podcast today is um, the lost art of the fun bicycle ride with no agenda. 
why why do you think you guys uh why do you think we need these in our in our lives guys i i'm and a no, big advocate of these and no um, numbers and it yeah. seems like in this day and age with the circles we run in everybody's chasing this you know this ftp i gotta increase my ftp i gotta increase my fitness you hear all these little buzzwords and key terms of you know i'm doing my my interval training today i'm doing my threshold works i'm doing my sweet spots Zone one, zone, zone two, one. <laughs> zone five. Whatever happened to getting on a bicycle and just going for a ride? Here's so, here's a here's a quick story sure. from uh, Nikki Terpstra, the Quick Step okay, rider. Yeah, uh, I this was either after Flanders or the most recent uh, Roubaix race. Um, he was asked, uh, "What was your?" Somebody was asking him some average power number, mm-hmm. and he kind of uh, over a certain section, and he kind of chuckled to himself, and he pulled up um, a result sheet that you know obviously had him at the top and he said this is my power meter and then he put it away and that was his only answer to the question <laughs> said he did not ride power there for a second so yeah if if the top of the sport can do that i believe that we can definitely look at ourselves and be like well if we're watching these numbers every single day but the guys at the top of the sport can turn off the power meter like why why can't we you know for for our own health you know i mean i have i have a run once a week i always make sure there's no watch run yeah, I just yeah. run my normal round. I don't run with a watch. Yeah, that's a, a, a damn good idea. And I really like. I've worked with athletes in the fort in the past, um, coached them, and it's one of the things that I try and emphasize that at least once every two weeks, if not once a week, we need to disconnect, and you need to go out. Don't go crazy. Don't don't come back to me and say, "Dude, I went on this five hour epic, you know, mountain bike ride and did ten thousand <laughs> feet." Don't don't do that. But you know, disconnect. I don't care if you're, you know, you're still running your Garmin or your Wahoo or whatever it is that you're, you're using to capture your, your data, but disconnect. Don't go out there and ride with an agenda. Just listen to your body, ride, ride smart. Um, but go out there and have some fun. Stop, stop and take a look around it. It's amazing. The, a a lot of times, like the places that we get to ride, especially here in the Pacific Northwest where we live, stop and take a look, take a few pictures and enjoy the scenery. Um, get to know a little bit better. Um, you know, go out there with some friends and have some, you know, fun riding your bike and just, you know, enjoy. Yeah. I saw this topic on the list and I was pretty excited about it just cause you know, like I grew up with barely wearing a watch, right? Like we didn't have GPS watches or whatever it was, you know? And so, yeah, you just go out and run. And if you like running, you go run, you know, if you like biking, go bike. And uh, you listed this topic. I always think of this, some sort of like comic or something that I saw either on a website or I don't know. Some one of the listeners will correct me, but uh, and it was like this this guy, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I went out for a bike ride, and I forgot my Garmin computer, my GPS, and my heart rate monitor. And it turns out, I don't really like biking." <laughs> that was, that was funny. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, we get so wrapped up with like posting." you know, data to Strava or whatever, you know, whatever it is, like proving that you're exercising, I guess, you know, it's like, um, it's, it is fun. Like one of the things that I want to start doing more of is just like bring a, you know, camera and just like go bike and just like take, stop and take photos and just, you know, like whatever, you know, like have no agenda, whether it's like, you know, just go bike somewhere and try to see something cool. Yeah. You know, don't get us wrong. I mean, having an agenda and and training smart with a plan and a purpose makes all the sense in the world if you want to get you know faster if you want to go out and race you want to be competitive you got to do that but you've got to remember unplug you know and and it goes the same it's the same thing with a lot of things you know like you know don't live your life on facebook don't live your life on instagram i mean just 
just be, you know, and sometimes you have to apply that to running or biking or swimming or whatever your, your favorite discipline is. Go out and have some fun and, and remember why you do that. You know, don't, don't disconnect and, and figure out that you, you hate this point that you're doing, but, um, you know, in, enjoy what it, it's, you know, its roots are, what its purpose is. And that's to put a smile on your face and keep you happy and young and fit. I don't, I don't think anybody fondly remembers and this is coming from somebody who does a lot of indoor training i don't fondly remember a single trainer at her treadmill run but i do fondly remember my first runs in forest park yeah uh yeah. riding uh, up in bellingham on a beautiful day uh doing open water swimming in this region yep. i'm planning on doing a columbia swim this summer like nice. those are the things that you look forward to not you know oh god i can't wait for that two and a half hour, three by 20 minute, you know, threshold effort. That's really going to, you know, be something I remember in three years. No, you remember that epic ride that you did with your friends yeah, where absolutely. somebody flatted at the top of a mountain or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, grab a different bike too. I mean, we've, yeah. a lot of us have multiple bikes and if you don't ask a buddy, you know, go grab, if you, if you're constantly riding on the road, change it up a little bit. See if there's something else out there for you. Go, go jump on a mountain bike or jump on a cross bike and, and have even more fun. It's a, it's a, a beautiful thing. Grab a different bike, grab some buddies, go for a ride with your buddies and just have a good time. Pack a lunch, you know, go somewhere and, and have fun with it. You know, sit on top of a mountain and, and, you know, shoot the breeze with your buds and, and talk about stuff, record it and start a podcast on top of a mountain. It could be fun, man. I'm telling you. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good mental break and it's a good way to break the monotony and it's it's a good way to keep that that sanity in your week and it's kind of like I'll, I'll liken it to like a cheat day or a you know a, a cheat meal where you know if you you spend your whole life just like counting every single calorie and trying to eat clean and pure you know stop and enjoy life and and have an ice cream cone you know this let let that that event be your ice cream cone have fun with it and there's definitely some I mean just talking from a physiology point of view there's a lot of benefits to doing something like this, whether it's a cheap meal or quote unquote, a cheap ride, I guess we could call it, uh, that, that will decrease your stress. And I mean, there's, you know, endless research into cortisol's long-term effects on aerobic and, uh, you know, performance. I can give you a hint. It's not good. Uh, fight or flight is a mechanism that our bodies have that's meant to be used in the short term. So if you are constantly worrying about numbers what your competition's doing on Strava, uh, if your FTP is increasing or not, that constant threat is a small, you know, continual microdosis of cortisol into your system that is not helping things. So, you know, you maybe, you know, those those 4 a.m. trainer rides are great consistently, but if you're starting to feel worn down, take that after ride work with some buddies, jump on, you know, jump on a cruiser, grab a camera, just like Matt said, like, you know, you're still getting miles in. It's yeah. If it's a zone one recovery day, like why not, you know? Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's all good stuff. So I, I think uh, we're, we're just about done for today. Um, anything that you guys want to add or anything that you want to toss in before we, we wrap this bad boy up? Yeah, thanks. Just thank the listeners. Thanks for um, thanks for coming along and joining us. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, uh, we, we got some fun stuff in the future. I'll do a little cobbled classics wrap up oh, for anybody yes. who's interested in that stuff. We, we, <laughs> we came to the end of a really fun Belgian classics year. So, uh, I know some of my cycling friends will be interested yeah. to hear some, we'll some of that stuff. Definitely yeah. want to talk there about was that, a little yeah. race yesterday and I think there's still a few folks out there that haven't, um, stumbled onto the final results of, uh, no spoilers here. Exactly. Okay. So okay. We'll, we'll wait just a touch more on that. I, you don't want to be like me and, and 
look for something online and all of a sudden you're like, ah, crap. Thanks for uh, spoiling that one for me. Uh, but that's my bad, I guess, for looking in the first place. Um, do do come back, though, because uh, we have some more stuff to talk about. And and like Matt said, thank you to everybody. I've Again, this past week, I've had probably a dozen more people that I, I never would have thought would even take the time to listen to what we have to say. Um, and they they did. They, they listened and they loved it. They came up and they they expressed how much they enjoyed the uh, the podcast. And, and we really thank you for that. So um, thanks again, Evan. Always great job. Congratulations you, on your win. Thanks for, for coming back for another one. Matt. Appreciate it. <laughs> Mr. Matt Legrand, thank you very much for your time. And uh, thank you for the total domination uh, brewskis that we had tonight with dinner. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Had with dinner. What the hell are you talking about, Jake? <laughs> had with our podcast. Oh, beer, gosh. beer counts as dinner these yeah. days, I guess. Maybe I need another beer. But um, yep, good to have you back. And great, great videos. Real, real quick, you want to tell us where we can watch those videos? Yeah, I don't have a great answer. YouTube. Um, I know that the waterfall video is on my kids' channel, which is Legrand Toys. They usually open up toys, and so. Um, and then my name is Matt Legrand. You can have a look around. There's some sort of singer performer, Matt Legrand also, which yeah. if you're into that sort of thing, <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, you'll be able to find me. Okay. Good stuff. The YouTube, yeah. the interwebs. Mr. Matt's turning into quite the little, uh, cinematographer. He's making some well, pretty cool stuff. No, so no, no, I mean, we're, we're going to try to progress slowly over the next long, long period. Captain humble over here. Yeah. It's a great, we're going to have a very video. fun summer. <laughs> All right, so come on back and join us next time. Thanks again for uh, for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye for now. Ah, oh, crap. Hey, Evan, what did Gwen Jorgensen have for dinner last night? I totally forgot to ask you. Man, going to have to add that to the omissions segment next go-around. Oh, 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 o